the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, the one and only here to say good afternoon, good evening, and a Merry Christmas to you. Welcome to this uh, Wednesday, 22nd day of December. That would be three shopping days left to go. And uh, we're going to post on the website, shirt size, collar size, all the basics so folks know what to get me. Good. And you, what are you, just big car? Something something flashy. Lots something of, related to the 49ers. Something related to the 49ers. Okay, for Nate. And, and, and for me, I'll go for the Niners as well, or something Giants related. <laughs> just kidding. You don't have to get us anything because we didn't get you any. No, we did, actually. We've got a couple of things for you. Uh, coming up on Christmas Eve Eve, we're kind of time-shifting here a little bit um, because of Christmas following uh, falling on Saturday. So Christmas Eve Eve will be our traditional Christmas. Eve show, and then on Christmas Eve will be our traditional Christmas Day show. Does that make any sense to you? Time warp, I know. Uh, We've got some great music for you. If you're um, spending time with friends and family on Christmas Eve and you want a little bit of music to accompany you, we uh, break from the traditional yak-yak here on Lifeline, and uh, we've got some wonderful Christmas music for you, and uh, that'll help get you into the the spirit. That'll be on Christmas Eve this coming Friday at 5 o'clock, and then uh, we'll enjoy an Another old-fashioned Christmas coming up tomorrow at 5 p.m. So should be some good stuff on tap for you. Just a small way of us helping you ring in the Christmas festivities here uh, heading into Saturday. Lots to talk about on tonight's show. We're going to kind of do the final round of political-related stuff tonight. And we'll talk a bit in uh, later on in this hour with our good friend Bob Zadek who's going to give us some insights on Joe Biden's roadblock, also known as Senator Joe Manchin, and what all of this means not only for the so-called Build Back Better Act, but going into what will undoubtedly be a contentious midterm election season in 2022. But we'll save that for a little bit later on. I want to start tonight by saying, you know, in the course of this year, we've seen some pretty incredible things take place on the pro-life front. We've seen states become bolder in passing legislation that uh, limits access to abortion on demand, hopefully encouraging women to make better choices. We've seen remarkable cases being, for the first time, at least heard by the United States Supreme Court, when often that's just been a, well, Roe versus Wade is done behind us, so on to the next subject du jour. We don't care to deal with the abortion topic, but in fact, they are. But against this backdrop, and as we're seeing more states with tighter regulations, we still have to be mindful that women at the end of the day who find themselves in a 
unplanned pregnancy need real options. And I'll explain what I mean by that when we meet our first guest in just a moment. But first, I want you to hear a story. This is probably quite typical of many women who, when faced with an unplanned pregnancy, have all these voices in their head. Voices that say things like, this is impossible. You, you can't possibly think you can care for this child. Your life will be in ruins. You'll have no support from friends or family. How can you possibly be a single mom and also go to work or school? Well, certainly it seems that Stephanie felt that way. I was attending church. I was working in the kids' ministry at church. Um, went to Bible study once a week. Uh, things with my family were good. I was in a relationship, and then I found out that I was pregnant. I was confused and hurt and ashamed, and I, just, I wanted to terminate the pregnancy altogether. My greatest fear with telling my Bible study and uh, members at church, it was rejection. I went to Real Options, and I had my first ultrasound, and as soon as I heard the heartbeat, there was no turning back. Wow. When I first saw Emerson, <laughs> I just, uh, love. That's the first thing I felt was love. My name is Emerson. When I grow up, I want to be the president of the United States, and I want to become a professional soccer player. Life is good. I am a proud mom. There's so many things to be proud of about Emerson, but one thing that um, I am very proud of is just his, um, his push to want to wanna grow and, and, and do good and, and love Jesus. He's a great kid and just enjoys life and has a great big heart. When you find out that you're pregnant, you're, you hear a lot of voices in your head, your own, others, others influencing you of, of what's the best thing to do. Um, have an abortion, your life is over, things are going to change. Real options did impact my life. They allowed me to see myself the way God sees me, which was number one, because when all this is happening in your life, and you're feeling shamed and disappointed and scared, but that they restored that all back, you know, in me. I graduated in May and from Grand Canyon University. I think it's very important for Emerson to see that nothing's impossible, no matter what challenges life may bring that you if you put your mind to it you can accomplish it if i was grading my mom i would give her an a for just giving me a good life and just treating me well i love you would i do it all over again i would <laughs> because of real options knowing that 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 support is out there for women and their children Wow. You know, and the commonality there in Stephanie's story that uh, is repeated so many times over and over and over again, and that is the notion that, well, uh, fear, hurt, rejection, 
And and yet oftentimes this is because of a lack of information and not really being aware of the fact that there are people and organizations out there <laughs> who specialize in this very thing of helping women understand in an unplanned pregnancy that there are people that will love you, support you, and stand with you that allows you the empowerment to really make a real choice. Joining me now is the CEO of Real Options, Valerie Hill. Valerie, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Craig. It's great to be with you tonight. And uh, what a delight to hear Stephanie's story. And little Emerson, you know, that's what this country needs yes. is a soccer-playing president. And uh, <laughs> when, when, when he reaches the age of 35 and can actually run, I, he's got my vote. <laughs> I know. he's amazed. We saw him at our 40th anniversary celebration, and he's 10 years old, handsome young man, and uh, just so exciting to see God moving in their lives today after uh, what she went through 10 years ago and with our support now has a wonderful son. And I want to talk a bit about her story and, and specifically how she wound up at Real Options. She certainly delineated, and I've underscored the fact that one of the big fears that she had going in to this surprise was the fear of rejection, certainly by family and by her church. Yes. Well, she was at church. She actually was helping, uh, serving with kids camp that weekend, got off the bus on a Saturday night with her girlfriend, and they were going to say, let's go home and shower. We're tired. But instead, they went to the Saturday night service and playing uh, during one of the uh, announcements was a video asking for volunteers and showing people uh, a little bit about real options, and she hadn't heard about us before. So if her church hadn't been connected to us and wasn't partnering with us and sharing a, a safe place for people to go, whether it's to serve or be served, she wouldn't have heard about us, and she might have kept that appointment the following week. But instead, she came to real options and had a wonderful advocate and Nellie Kayat, who was on the program a few weeks ago with you, and um, she was able to have that support uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to walk her through all the people in her life she needed to tell and to trust that they would love her because they love God and she loves God. And then that ultrasound where she saw the heartbeat of her son for the very first time that melted her heart. And that's not something she would have gotten uh, at an abortion clinic. So I'm so grateful that her church partnered with us and that Emerson is here today with aspirations like he has to be a pro soccer player, a pro the president of the United States. You know, who knows what God will do? All the children that are missing um, over the last since 1973 in our country and around the world that could have been fantastic presidents and developed cures for cancer and done so many things. This is a generational, a generational issue that we've li lived through a holocaust of loss. And so we're, we're very grateful when uh, people do are able to choose life and watch God work in their lives. And that, and and he's going to grow up and marry and have children. It's, it's not just him. It's his children and his children's children. 
There, there is a real opportunity here, uh, particularly as we move into a new year, to be mindful of the tremendous need out there. And that so often women, yeah. like in Stephanie's scenario, just need to know that there's support available to them, that there's yeah. somebody that will stand with them, walk them through this process, be there through the, the good days, the tough days, and know that even if they're fearful of things like rejection or the shame or uh, the way they're mm-hmm. going to be treated by friends and family, things of that sort, that they do uh, have the ability to walk in confidence that uh, you know this this is certainly a big challenge of that we're not minimizing but it's a challenge yeah. for which there are people that are willing to stand with you and help you walk through all of this and of course that's exactly what real options has been doing now for 40 years yes yes it's a privilege for us every day to serve in five Bay area medical clinics and women, men, students that are coming in the doors in all kinds of circumstances that we, as we've talked about in the past. And we're there to offer them a listening ear, a safe place, compassion, um, real information, honest information, including that very important ultrasound to let them know if they even have a viable pregnancy to make a decision about. And and what it would look like for them when they make the decision that they make. And we're praying and hoping that they will make a life-affirming decision, a life-affirming choice, which is either to parent or to choose parents through adoption. But even if they don't, to be able to say, God loves you, he cares about you, we're here for you. May we check on you. If she chooses abortion or walks out the door undecided, we get permission to check up on her and follow up and care about her and always plant the seed that could be mid-abortion with a, with a medication abortion that she changes her mind and we can reverse that for her with abortion pill reversal or in, in six months or a year or 20 years from now if she is suffering with the grief and the un- how she doesn't know how to forgive herself or just all kinds of symptoms women suffer after abortion, that we have our pregnancy loss healing program, support groups and retreats, that she is welcome, that we will always love her, we will always care about her, we will not judge her or, or coerce her. So it, it's very important to, to give women that safety net of God's love and compassion and grace with sound medical care, with prenatal care, with full and excellent medical care, everything that we can do to walk with her to help her prepare prenatal vitamins and practical support items. Uh, We do a fabulous job at Christmas time. We have our Christmas Tree of Life little program going on right now, uh, tabletop trees in the churches and online uh, gift catalog, just a way to give things like pack and plays and uh, or pay for a prenatal care or ultrasounds, specific gifts for mothers in need, specific gifts to our pregnancy loss healing program and to our sexual risk avoidance education in schools so that we can help students make healthy choices and and not have to come into our clinics for that uh, ultrasound and consultation that 
we really just want to be the full service life affirming medical provider with God's love and grace in the Bay Area. This has, of course, been a year of phenomenal growth and expansion. You had a merger. You've added additional clinics. It's been a pretty amazing 2021. As you head into 2022, for folks to get more involved in a practical way, uh, to support the organization, to stand with you, because, of course, to be able to have the doors open, provide the medical services, all that Real Options does, uh, it takes resources. If folks want to get involved, learn more about end-of-year giving, Valerie, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to real friendsofrealoptions.net. And there's a way to get involved, to volunteer. We have employment opportunities and definitely ways to give. I mean, we live in the Bay Area. Lots of generous supporters are giving stock donations. It's a great way to, to maximize their giving and not pay tax on, on that stock. They don't have to sell it. They donate it. Um, so we're, we're trying to raise the funds to kick off 2022 to safeguard 6,500 lives in the Bay Area next year. And we have a goal to raise $400,000 by the end of the year for the month of December uh, so that we can safeguard that many lives. It costs us $600 to safeguard one life. Well, it's a pretty uh, pretty decent price, in, in my opinion. And, uh, and of course, your gift during this end of year, as you think about uh, tax considerations and so forth, can really go a long way toward impacting the, the future ministry of real options and growth heading into the new year. We know certainly with all the talk about uh, what's going on at the Supreme Court and the governor wanting to turn California into a bit of an abortion magnet, giving women advice giving them real options is more important now than perhaps ever before. So with that, as you think about planned giving or giving at the end of the year, think of real options. You can go online to friendsofrealoptions.net and give that end-of-year tax-deductible gift. Lots of options there as well, as Valerie mentioned, uh, stock transfers. You can save yourself some capital gains and do a good work at the same time. Information again for your giving online at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Our thanks to Valerie Hills, CEO of Real Options, for joining us with this end-of-year update. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So there's a roadblock for the Biden administration, particularly most recently related to the Build Back Better Act, and that roadblock is called Senator Joe Manchin. And uh, it certainly has some Democrats up in arms. Other Republicans saying, hey, Joe, buddy, come on over here. We got room. Let's uh, let's find out what's going on here as uh, the senator um, is dealing with clashes with Democrats, clashes with the president of his party, and perhaps a lingering feeling that he's not exactly wanted where he currently resides. And I don't mean the state, but I mean the party. Some insights now from syndicated talk show host, in fact, the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in America today, Bob Zadak show, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. 
Bob, in addition to his talk show host duties, is a best-selling author, a CPA, and a lawyer by trade. And Bob, as always, happy holidays and good to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much. You're very kind. Uh, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know, this um, brouhaha uh, w- between the progressives and perhaps all Democrats, but the progressives are the more outspoken, uh, the progressive Democrats and Joe Manchin is fascinating. It's interesting on a personal level. We may get into a little bit of that in our conversation this evening. But as we often do on your show together, is these these day-to-day events are profound uh, civics lessons. They are lessons in American history. They teach us about the wisdom, and in some cases, the mistakes made by the founders. It is, it is, government in action and it's where it's where to get a chance we all get a chance to test drive and to stress test the system of government we have what do i mean by that well for the to apply it to joe manchin the founders lived in fear of what they called factions and what we call political parties groups who vote uh, in unison uh, because of allegiance to a party simply or primarily to get reelected. And the fight, the anger expressed by progressive Democrats is anger because Manchin has the temerity to vote the way he thinks is best, even if, and here's the punchline, even if it is contrary to the best interests of his party. All of the vitriol expressed by the lunatic fringe of the Democratic Party, all of the vitriol is not because they say what Manchin is doing is not the right thing for America. It's not because Manchin is doing what he believes is the best for his state. What he believes is the best to fulfill his duty, it's because he's not loyal enough to the Democrats. And it's exactly what the founders feared, is that elected officials would put the best interests of the party ahead of the best, what they believe to be the best interests of the country. And that's what's happening today how smart our founders were to know that represents the worst in human behavior. And that was the weak underbelly of the democratic system. Nobody who is complaining about what Manchin is doing, and they are getting very personal, is complaining that Manchin is wrong on the merits. They are saying he didn't consult with the White House. He is not supporting the party. He is disloyal to the party. Anybody who puts loyalty to party over anything else ought to be impeached. Because that's not who to whom their duty lies. They don't take an oath to be loyal and to defend and protect the Democratic Party. They take an oath 
to defend and protect the Constitution. And that's what Manchin is doing, and that's what he says he's doing. He is behaving with extreme patriotism, and for that he's being pilloried. These, these critics of Manchin should be ashamed of themselves. Confront what he's doing on the merits. Convince him that given the, what's best for America, what he's doing is wrong. But do not say he's not a loyal Democrat. Not being a loyal Democrat is a plus, in my opinion, not a minus. Well, at the end of the day here, you know, in, in sort of the, the, the pecking order, it, it probably ought to ideally be loyalty first to his constituents, so the people of West Virginia. Secondly, to the people of America, since as a member of the United States Senate, his decisions impact not just West Virginia, but the entire country, ultimately. Um, and, and the notion of party loyalty here, I mean, it, it just, it, you know, it... It it smacks of what's the term I'm looking for, Bob? It 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 it, it smacks of cronyism at a pretty frightening level. That this is more about not the people of West Virginia showing up at the state capitol, protesting, doing a sit down in the senator's office there um, in West Virginia. No, none of that, but rather they're upset because he's not supporting the big guy's agenda. And I think at the end of the day, if anybody has a right to be upset, it ought to be West Virginians. And so far, as far as I can tell, there are very few that are upset with his decision. That there's no indication at all that he lacks the support of the people who have entrusted him to represent their interests. And that's the only measure. Now, you mentioned loyalty to the state. You accidentally, I think, raised a fascinating issue, an issue that I have not found an answer that I'm comfortable with. The question arose a long time ago for me when Trent Lott was was the... Um, majority leader in the Senate. He was a, He's a Republican, and he's from Mississippi. And he voted for, because he had a lot of power, uh, Mississippi has a shipbuilding industry, uh, important. And he voted more than once to build huge warships in Mississippi, billion-dollar warships, which the Defense Department said publicly, we do not want and we do not need. Yet he did it because it was jobs to Mississippi and Mississippi was then struggling economically. And the question I asked myself and others from time to time whose opinion I valued is, was Trent Lott a good American or a, a good senator or a bad senator? He was sure doing something which was good for his state, which which sent him to D.C. But he was doing something that was harmful to the United States. He was wasting a billion dollars, which the United States had no use for. He was doing so to benefit his state. Question, was he a good American or a shameful American? I couldn't answer it for myself. I couldn't answer it when I did some reading. 
I still can't answer it. So the question of loyalty, loyalty to who, is in my judgment a hard question. But the one thing for, that's not hard is loyalty to party is has to take a backseat to all of it. And Manchin is doing exactly that. So whether his loyalty is to the country or to his state, he has made it clear either of those two political entities, the state or the country, take priority in his mind over the party. He is to be respected and praised for doing that. Well, and oddly uh, enough, while there's a lot of this sort of wailing and gnashing of teeth going on amongst progressives and uh, leadership within the Democrat Party, and there's been calls for him to be, you know, let's let's you know run him out of town on a rail and things of that sort. I, ironically, he, he's just behaving like a Reagan Democrat, meaning he's being fiscally conservative. He's asking questions about does it make sense to add to the deficit at the this time, particularly with what's going on in relationship to uh, inflation at this moment. And, you know, the, 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 the irony is I'm still trying to figure out the reasoning here. I mean, to, to suggest that we need efforts to address infrastructure, well, that's been an issue that's plagued this country for 30 years that we've been ignoring infrastructure. Even under the past administration, there was much talk about it and nothing ever happened. But then you have to ask yourself about what infrastructure, the timing, how much is, uh, money is going to be spent. And if this is all based on let's try to stimulate the economy, I mean, I- anybody takes a look at the numbers coming out on Wall Street, you could argue that if anything, it's overstimulated. So this almost seems to be a we're going to put together a package that's going to get some attention so that we can garner more votes because we're what we're really concerned about here is not building the country back better or dealing with infrastructure. What we're really worried about here is the potential outcome of the midterm elections. It's exactly exactly right, which is self-interest. And it is um, just to give your audience a flavor of the intensity of the hatred, I was really distressed by hearing... A great political scholar, Bette Midler, genius that she is, uh, one of the great political scholars, uh, send out a tweet. And, and this tweet, to me, was a dagger in my heart. Because, and I'll explain why. The tweet was, she is complaining about Joe Manchin's vote. And she said, this is a direct quote, this is Bette Midler, as extreme a progressive, living on the coast, our coast, regretfully, Craig, living on our coast, a progressive, uninformed, she said, I'm just going to quote, to give your audience the context when I'm going to make my comment, she said, he, referring to Joe Manchin, sold us us out. Whoever the us is, it's not clear. She went on to say, he wants us all to be just like his state, West Virginia. Poor, illiterate, and strung out. Poor, <laughs> illiterate, and strung out. She is talking about Americans who, have, who live in the same country that you and I and she does, who live their lives, who obey the laws, 
who try to make a good life for their family. Do you think she says that based upon her visit and her living in West Virginia and studying the lifestyle, the, the snobbery, the elitism, the nerve of this moron to say that about several million Americans who she has never visited or met just because Manchin didn't vote the way she wanted. And what scares me, what scares me is there is the class warfare and this class warfare of the snobbery of the elites on the one hand and the rest of the country, the middle on the other, is scary. And it's scary, Craig, before we go to break. It's scary because many observers observed that the build-up to the Civil War, which was um, about slavery, most people will say, it was about slavery, and it was about states' rights. Well, at the same time, there was a hatred by the North of everything about the lifestyle in the South. It was class warfare. And there was hatred in the South about the lifestyle of those who lived in the coastal, mostly coastal cities in the North. So there was, it was not only about slavery, it was about two lifestyles, two cultures, two countries who hated each other so much, they went to war. And we are seeing the growing hatred of the same type of a lifestyle, of a way of living, of cultural values. We are seeing the same intensity of hatred about cultural values of fellow Americans that we had in the build-up to the Civil War. Man, is it distressing to me. Well, and undoubtedly, and, and you know, we, well, I've, I've, I've had the same observation, Bob, that there's this sense of, of uh, opposite coastal angst that we here, for example, in California, state of, I don't know, 35 and maybe 38 million since the last census, um, most populated state in the union. And here's a guy like Joe Manchin from West Virginia that has barely two million inhabitants, and yet he is in a position to essentially be the deciding vote as to yay or nay, and I think you're right. There is that sense of, hey, we're on the West Coast, we're a bigger state, we spend more money, we send more to Washington, D.C., this ought to vote in our direction, not in the direction of West Virginia. But, you know, this is our form of government, and if people don't like it, they have an opportunity to vote it out, but to suggest that somehow um, Joe Manchin is any less of, of a value of a senator because he's not from California or not from from one of the elitist states, just demonstrates the kind of attitude uh, that they really have here. Because it's there's no unifying force. Uh, the people with the intensity of Bette Midler or the Squad are never willing to refer to the others as fellow Americans. Never once. First and foremost. We are fellow Americans. We disagree often profoundly, but above it all, we are fellow Americans. Just like the loyalty one is expected to have to a family member, even a family member who might transgress, 
or who might be different. They're still family members. They're entitled to, to something more. And Americans are entitled to something more, uh, especially when their motives, their motives are pure, just different. But Manchin's motives are, for all intents and purposes, and from everything I have read, his motives are pure. He fears for our country, and he's doing the best he can to protect the country from harms that he is afraid of. And he didn't give himself over um, an oversized vote. All he did was get elected, show up in the Senate, and is asked to vote on something. And that's what he did. He didn't appoint himself as dictator or as the decider. That's where he ended up because of circumstance. And that's all that he did. He was never power hungry. He didn't show up in the morning and say, I hope I get to dictate the future of the country. He showed up and did what he's supposed to do. He voted and he explained his vote. He didn't just vote. He went on national television and explained. And you and I have had many conversations and we have both agreed with each other that somebody expressing an opinion is, to me, boring. But when they tell me why they think something, that's endlessly interesting. And I can roll up my sleeves, we can talk about the why, have a great cup of coffee, understand each other more, and then go about our lives. Manchin expressed his position, and it didn't stop there. He went on to explain why. You could, when he tells you why, you then have one choice. Attack him on the merits, fact for fact, and explain why he is mistaken. But to call his constituency poor, illiterate, and strung out, it can't get more offensive than that. And sadly, and it's also demonstrative of this notion that our, our willingness to engage in dialogue, as you're suggesting, to have that give and take, to reason together, though we may come to the table from very different viewpoints, and perhaps after that dialogue, walk away, not having moved the other side one inch, one iota, but at least we've had a productive give and take. Here it seems to be, and I was just reading some of the comments by Met, Bette Midler, and I'm surprised that you know Barbara Streisand wasn't in right behind her. <laughs> but the, the 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 notion of let's just immediately go from we disagree, so let me insult you, that that somehow is the panacea, that somehow is going to be the fix, um, just demonstrates that public discourse is now suddenly, I shouldn't say suddenly, has been eroding over time um, into something that, that scarcely looks like the nation that's fought wars together, engaged in compromise, come to an understanding of, you know, well, you feel that way. Why do you feel that way? Help me understand the 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 power of, of reason or negotiation completely out. Let's just go from... Vote my way, and if you don't, I'm going to insult you to the nth degree. And if we want to know where the problem lies, the problem doesn't lie with Joe Manchin. The problem lies with the response 
to Joe Manchin and people like Bette Midler, emblematic of just that issue of the disintegration of decent discourse in this country that at the end of the day will move us nowhere and will instead cripple this country. We'll take a time out. I want to come back to more of the dialogue. Bob Zadek is with us tonight. Bob, of course, syndicated talk show host. You can catch his program Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. If you're tired of a lot of the talking head stuff on television that, you know, just doesn't seem to have much intelligence to it, never gets you the real story behind the story, then why not try a refreshing alternative? Check out Bob's program. You can also capture the podcast as well if you go online to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. His program again, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m., Heard locally in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. All right, let's get you an answer to traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our dialogue. Bob Zadek, my guest tonight. We're talking about the brouhaha over Joe Manchin not being willing to um, play nice, essentially, with the Democrat Party. And uh, he's, of course, dividing the line between loyalty to party and loyalty to constituents and to the nation. This, of course, uh, because of um, the upset of his announcement that he's opposing the Build Back Better Act, which has been, of course, the linchpin of the president's legislative agenda. Now, I'm curious, Bob, in your opinion, and we've heard this said that Joe Manchin himself believes there's still room for him with someone like his views in the Democrat Party. But I have to wonder whether the party feels as if there's still room for someone like him. Or is the Democrat Party party making a slow march towards full-on, as left as you can go, progressiveness, and the more traditional Roosevelt-Kennedy-style moderate Democrats are just no longer welcome. Well, uh, uh, there's anecdotal evidence to help you figure this out. Um, I think the latest number is 23, I believe this is correct, moderate Democrats in the House have announced they do not plan to run for re-election. Now, it can't be because it's not a good job. It's a great job. It is a, a, a wonderful job, free parking at National Airport, I mean, at Reagan Airport, and all the other good stuff. It's a pretty good job. So why are they doing it? Because they're not welcome, and because they have no say in party politics. So... 23. Now, 23 is a lot. That's one-tenth, roughly, of the Democrats in the House. One-tenth, pretty big number, by my standards, of moderate Democrats have announced, and we still have a year to go, they're not going to run for re-election. Is that because they read the tea leaves and they know they're going to be primaried? That has become a verb now. You get primaried, which means you get voted out in a primary election, so you don't get to be the Democrat in the House anymore. You get voted out by a more progressive. So are they seeing the handwriting on the wall? Probably. So that may be pretty solid evidence to help you figure this one out. Um, I think they are not feeling welcome, which means uh, the Democratic Party has a pact with the devil. 
They're going, they cannot survive, nor can the Republicans survive if they allow the extreme wing of their party to dominate the primaries. Uh, so there is some indication as to what's happening to the Democratic Party. Uh, what's also interesting in the subject of the progressives is there was a, a really interesting in a bizarre way uh, statement by AOC, the darling of the progressive left in the House first term representative from Queens, New York. Uh, she was recently on um, MSNBC's Morning Joe program, a progressive tilting uh, morning news show, news in, in air quotes. She demanded, demanded a crackdown on the Senate as if the Senate was some organized crime cabal. She wants a crackdown on the Senate, her words. And she said, her words, the Senate operates like an old boys club that has a couple of gals. Can you imagine? Can <laughs> well, you imagine? That's, that's um, uh, political scientist AOC's summary summary of the Senate, the other house of the federal Congress. Well, you know, and at the end of the day, if she doesn't like it, I guess the option is always open to her to uh, to gather enough support to put in a constitutional amendment, and we can go back to the old way and allow the House to elect the Senate, and if they want to be able to uh, have greater control, well, there's one way of getting it back. I would be willing to bet she's not even aware of that little slice of U.S. constitutional history, though. Fascinating. Uh, and we're going to continue to uh, see the fascination undoubtedly ramp up as we head into the new year. And, of course, it is a midterm year, so there's going to be a lot of jockeying for both attention and position. And uh, for the rest of us, time to pop some popcorn and enjoy the show. Bob Zadak, his show, one that you'll certainly enjoy. Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on our sister station 860 a.m the answer lots of resources available through bob's website books podcasts notes regarding um, current and past guests as well so we invite you to check him out on the radio sundays 8 a.m and online at bobzadek.com b-o-b-z-a-d-e-k.com robert as always an education and a delight to have you with us wish you a very enjoyable christmas Coming up in a few days. Bob Zay. And to you, Craig. Thank you. You take care now. That's 601 from KFAX, an update on traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.